uh, I thought in light of the recent study we were doing, an overview of the minor prophets, we saw how the Old Testament ended with the book of Malachi. There was promises that were given. We find there four or five, behold, things that are yet to come to pass. Behold, there's a messenger. The messenger is going to come. John the Baptist in the spirit of Elijah. Behold, uh, there is the one coming, the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. And uh, it's looking forward and encouraging the remnant of God's people in, in really kind of a, a dark period where there was a lot of unbelief, a lot of uh, negativity toward God on those who had professed to know him. But for the remnant, there is a word of hope, the word of promise. It's being kept before them, and they are to live in light of this hope that will be one day theirs when the Messiah himself comes. Now, the period from the prophecy of Malachi till the time of the arrival of the Messiah was how long? 400 years. It wasn't four days, and it wasn't four months. It wasn't four week, uh, years. It was 400 years. And you can think about the children of Israel when they were in Egypt. How long were they there in prison, uh, enslaved? They were there for 400 years as well. And God had given a promise back in Genesis that he would deliver them. He was going to come and bring them out and bring them to the promised land. So they were waiting and anticipating that redemption that would come, that deliverance, that salvation. The Old Testament saints uh, were looking for 400 years for the coming of the Messiah. And uh, so as we think about that, we often see that there's often time between the promises of God and the fulfillment. And we're called to live in faith and hope and anticipation of what God has promised uh, to us. And uh, we, too, are living between promise and uh, fulfillment. We are living between the first and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this little series is just called Living Between Two Advents, or Living in the Already but the Not Yet. The already is that Christ has come, but the not yet is that he is coming again and he will fulfill all that was uh, promised concerning the coming of this Messiah. So we're living between these two advents. Um, advent means simply coming. And when we think about the first advent, we think about what? We think about Christmas. Um, we think about the arrival, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary. We think of the nativity. And uh, the first promise that was given concerning the coming of the Messiah was in Genesis 3.15. There's one that is going to come from the line of the woman who's going to, what, crush the head of the serpent. He will be a deliverer. He will be a mighty conqueror. So here's the anticipation, the longing, and the waiting in the hearts of God's people for this serpent crusher and uh, the Messiah. And as we go through the Old Testament, it develops more and more about this Messiah. He's going to come from the line of Abraham. He's going to come from the line of David. He's going to be a great king, and he will rule, and he will reign forever. And so the angels announced that the time's come. 
here's the Messiah, he has arrived, and uh, John says, we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word was made flesh, and it dwelt among us, and we saw him, and we spoke with him, as I read from 1 John this morning, we, we, we knew him, and that's the Christ that we preach to you. However, as we think about this coming, from the Old Testament perspective, there were a lot of expectations uh, when this Messiah would come. All of the promises that were wrapped up in him, that he would uh, indeed crush the head of the serpent, he would rule as a king, he would overthrow all of his enemies, he would bring in a new world. Isaiah talks about a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness would dwell. He would rule uh, justly. Um, But all doesn't pan out with the first coming of Jesus, does it? We do not find him doing all of these things. And so John the Baptist, who announced the coming of the Messiah, John the Baptist, at one point in his life, when he finds himself in prison, he sends messengers to Jesus with this question. Are you really the one, or, or do we look for another? Because I think John's thinking, this really isn't turning out the way I thought it would. Here I am in prison. And uh, so even John himself has some questions. He's kind of perplexed by this. And with the unfolding of Jesus' earthly ministry after his first coming, Jesus speaks about the fact that he's going to go away and he's going to come back again. And we read about this in John 14 here. This is now in the upper room. Jesus with his disciples, cross is just before him. And we read in chapter 14 these familiar words, I think, to all of us. Verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I I, I go to prepare a place for you. Now notice verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So Jesus says, I'm going away, and I'm going to prepare a place for you, but I am going to come back again, and I'm going to receive you unto myself. I remember listening to Mark Webb one time, and he said, you know, I think this is more than just the second return of Christ when he comes. If we die, Christ is coming to receive us unto himself, that where, we, where he is, that we will be also. But here is, it is looking forward to Christ's coming. There is a second coming, a second advent in which he will come. And we read in Acts 1 of when the disciples, after Jesus is now ready to ascend into heaven, and in fact he does, the angels say to the disciples, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, he will come, he will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. But this time he's not coming as a humble baby born and laid in a manger. He's coming as the great king, the sovereign, the king of kings, the lord of glory. He's coming with all his holy angels with him, and uh, he is going to uh, wrap up things, if you will, and... uh, Paul talks about in Philippians 3.20 that our citizenship is in heaven. What a wonderful truth. 
Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are waiting the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 2.13, we are looking for what? The blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he came once, he ascended back to heaven, and he said he's going to come again. And this is the time in which we are living, isn't it? For now 2,000 years, God's people have been living in this period between these two great historic events, the already, but the not yet, the first coming and the second coming that is yet to come when Christ will come. And this is a time in which we are living. So turn, if you will, to First Peter, which we read earlier. And uh, Peter is writing to believers in Asia Minor, and he is speaking to them of some of these realities. And uh, as, we, as we look at the, the prophecies that were made of Christ, they consisted of two things. And he mentions these in verse 11. And these were perplexing to the people of God, even, even to uh, the prophets themselves who wrote them. They, they were searching out what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand. Notice this, two things, the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Those two things encompass the, the work and the ministry of the Messiah. There will be sufferings, and they know that, that following that, there will be these glories that will come about. So his suffering and his glories. So this, this caused tension for people trying to understand and figure these things out. Even the disciples, they really struggled with this, didn't they? Jesus told them three times, very clearly, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over by the Jews to the Gentiles. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die, raised up on the third day. And even when all these things happen, you know, they just, it was mind-blowing to them that this one, the Lord Jesus Christ, would be crucified like this. So it spoke about sufferings. Isaiah 53 is a very good example of this. He would be despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. But then we have Psalm 2 that speaks about uh, my king that he, God says he will establish on his holy hill of Zion. Ask of me of the nations, and I will give them to you as an inheritance, and you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces as a potter's vessel. He will be a sovereign king, a judge, and uh, there, was no, there will be no one that can contest him. So he'll be a king, ruling and reigning. He will have a glorious kingdom that will have no end. Uh, the knowledge of the glory of God will fill the whole earth, Isaiah tells us. And there will no longer be conflict in nature. Uh, there will no longer be strife among peoples. They will beat their plows, swords into plowshares. So these things were hard, um, problematic to those who initially welcomed the Messiah and his public ministry. John the Baptist was one of those that just wasn't panning out, I think, the way John was envisioning it to happen. And then we read in John 6, there's a crowd of people, and Jesus has done this miracle of feeding the 5,000 with, the, with just the, the little boy's lunch. 
gives them loaves and fish. And this crowd is ready to take Jesus and to make him king. Our king is here. Our ruler, our conquering king is here. But what does Jesus do? He'll have nothing of it. This isn't the kind of king that he is, what they are looking for. And Jesus, he, uh, he, he, he resists this. And he does this on many occasions in his public ministry. They were looking for a different kind of king than Jesus was. And so their excitement turned to disappointment when Jesus refuses. And it says that as Jesus began to teach them that he is this bread that has come down out of heaven, that he is uh, going to lay down his life, he's going to save a people. And the people didn't like to hear this. And it says many of them turned away, they followed him no more. Then you remember the two men on the road to Emmaus after the crucifixion of Jesus He comes alongside of them as they are walking, and they don't know who it is. And uh, he's like, why are you you so down? And, of course, they say, where have you been? Don't you know what's gone on in Jerusalem, all the things that have happened there? And uh, he said, you know, we were hoping this was the Messiah. This is the one that we are looking for, anticipating. But he was condemned to death and crucified. And we were hoping that it was he that was going to redeem Israel. So their hopes were dashed in their mind and their thinking, and they're devastated by this. What does Jesus say to them? But, oh, you foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and then enter into his glory? And, with, and beginning with Moses and the prophets, what did he do? He expounded to them all the scriptures, the things, what, concerning himself, concerning Christ. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly on the wall to hear Jesus preach the Old Testament and how it was pointing to him? But this was troubling uh, for people when Jesus Christ came and he wasn't uh, quite the Messiah that many of them were expecting Things weren't happening the way they thought. As they thought of all those prophecies, they figured he'd come and throw off the Roman government. He'd rule and reign and bring in his kingdom and power and glory. But it didn't quite happen that way. And so what we find in the New Testament is Jesus now begins to talk about another advent. Having come once, he's going to come again. There's the already of the promises that were made about the Messiah that he has come, he has been born, um, he's the word that was made flesh, and his messianic kingdom has been inaugurated, the king has come and he has preached, but he says, stay tuned, I'm leaving, but I'm going to come again. And he gives us previews of things that are to come in the Gospels. And so Peter, as he writes, uh, says that Christians under the ministry Uh, of the word of God, by the apostles. To the ones that he's writing to, he says, you have not seen Christ, verse 8. He says here in verse 1 Peter 1, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Now, Peter preached to them, this Christ has come. I had the privilege of seeing him. You didn't. But 
you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. You have faith that this Christ had come. He had been born and he uh, came. And you know this salvation, verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the already of his first coming. You, you have benefited from him. You've put your faith and your trust in this Christ. And you have been born again, as he says back in verse 3. You've been born again by the grace of God. But there's the not yet. There are those things you don't yet have. Look at verse 5. You are being kept by the power of God through faith for a salvation. Notice, a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, it may be found to the praise and the honor, and here it is again, and the glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So you've already been partakers of the first coming and the benefits of Christ. You've received this salvation. But there's another salvation that is, to be, that is ready to be revealed in the last time. It's not yet yours in fullness. And so we are living again between these two advents, between the already and the not yet. And you know that's where we are living, isn't it? And the people of God have been living there for over 2,000 years. We have the already and the benefits and the blessings of the coming of the Messiah, his advent. But we don't have everything yet. We're not enjoying all the benefits of this one who has been promised and the blessings that he would bring. And sometimes we can become like John the Baptist and we can become like the men on the road to Emmaus. Or we can become like Asaph that we looked at last week. Things Sometimes in our life, you know, we're a follower of Christ, a part of his kingdom, and yet sometimes our life is hard and difficult and things aren't panning out the way we think they might or they should as a follower and a lover of Jesus Christ. Here, Peter says you're, you're going through various trials uh, during this time. And maybe like John, we too maybe can expect different things that we are maybe expecting and uh, when maybe they aren't panning out the way we think, we can lose our footing. And sometimes we can lose our way, even as Asaph did, that we again looked at last week. But Jesus, when these disciples came to him from John and they said, you know, are, are we supposed to look for someone else? Jesus said, go back and tell John, the blind receive their sight and the lame walk. And the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. John, I'm the one. I am the Messiah. This is what Isaiah said the Messiah would do, and this is what I have done. And then he says this, blessed is he who's not offended because of me. That's a, a very strong word, I think, for us. Blessed is the one that's not offended because the way I run my business, the way I run my kingdom. Trust me. And uh, this is the call that is given to us as well. And so we want to look at 
what it is for us to be living in the already but the not yet, living between the first advent and the second advent. And as we think of this, the already and the not yet, um, we think about faith and hope. We are to live in faith and we are to live in hope. Now, as we think about the already, after hundreds of years, the promised Messiah came, born of the virgin, son of David. And in a real sense, faith and hope were realized, weren't they? They were realized by the people of God, and there were many of them who were waiting for him. Some of them, like Simeon and Anna. Simeon was given the promise, Simeon, you're not going to die until you see the promised Messiah. And uh, so the people of God were waiting. The people of God before him never had that, necessarily had that promise. Adam and Eve were given the promise of the one that would come and crush the head of the serpent, but they never saw that. Abraham was promised the seed that would come and bring blessing to all the earth. He didn't see it except by faith, and he rejoiced, but he never saw that promised seed to come. Moses was promised there would be a greater prophet than, Moses, uh, than him. He never saw that. Uh, Micah was told that a ruler would come, and he would be the shepherd of the people of Israel. He didn't see that. But here is Simeon who has received this promise. You're going to see it. Simeon, before you die, you're going to see the Lord's anointed one, the Christ. And when Mary and Joseph come and bring Jesus to the temple that day, he's holding that little baby. And he says this. He took him up in his arms and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to be bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Here is this promise. It has come. As God had said, faith has seen now the fulfillment of this, the promised Messiah. And uh, John 1, John says, we beheld his glory, the word that was made flesh. So the long-awaited one has come. We've waited for him. He's here, and we have seen it. And, and there's a real sense that our faith has been made sight. We beheld his glory. And we, too, we live in the post-incarnation uh, time of history. We, by faith, have seen that, haven't we? We've seen it through the word of God that has been given to us that reveals these things about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he did come, came into time and history, was born of the Virgin Mary, the Messiah has come, and this is a, a crucial part of redemptive history. And we've been blessed in the time and history in which we live to see these things from hindsight. We, we are looking back at the unfolding of God's redemptive plan when Christ came into this world, was born of the Virgin Mary, lived and lived his life here upon the earth. And even though we've not seen Jesus physically with our eyes, we're like these people Peter's writing to, you've not seen him like I have, and yet you believe and you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. So in a real sense things that were anticipated by these Old Testament saints have been realized, 
and we have come to know this and enjoy this and uh, the blessing of this fulfillment of the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But also there was the already aspect of this messianic hope. For all those years waiting for this promise to be fulfilled, it is now fulfilled and their hopes were realized. Uh, Romans 8.24 says, Hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what, he, for what he sees? Well, now he's come, and the apostles have seen him, and by faith we have seen that he has come. And so there's a sense in which this hope has been realized for us as Christ came in, at Bethlehem, in, in Bethlehem. But like the Old Testament saints that were awaiting his first coming, in faith and in hope, we too have seen this. It has come to pass. But we too, like them, are waiting now for his second advent. And we're waiting in faith, and we are waiting in hope and anticipation of the coming of this Lord Jesus Christ and the consummation of his kingdom. So notice in First Peter 1 here, he says in verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, that you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith may be being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, that it may be found to praise and honor and glory. Here it is at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, with those believers, we too, we are looking forward in faith, trusting in the promises of God, the promises of Christ, and we're looking forward in hope that he is going to come again and he is going to accomplish and bring to pass the things that he has promised to us and the things that have yet to be fulfilled from the Old Testament scriptures and also those things foretold by the new. So what we'll do in these next few weeks is just be looking at some of those things where we have the already but the not yet. And uh, we'll pick up next week with looking at uh, the already and the not yet in relationship to sin and to redemption. There's a real sense in which we have been saved, but there's a sense in which we are yet to be saved. We have received already forgiveness of sin but there is also the fullness of that salvation that is not yet ours. And we look forward to that in faith and in hope. All right, I think we'll end there. Um, but maybe re- be reminded, Paul, Peter says that all of these things are a part of the hope that we have. It is a living hope. We are anticipating, we're looking for, forward to an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for us. There is a new and glorious day that awaits the people of God. And so we wait in hope, anticipation, just like the Old Testament saints were waiting for his first coming. We too are waiting for his second coming. All right, well, let's stand and we'll be dismissed with a word.